Hello and welcome to another episode of the Symphony Podcast. My name is Bernardo Mite and with me as always is Andrew Owen. That's correct. And today we are recording episode number 25. Um, I think we fixed all the technical problems that we had last week. So this one should be a lot better in terms of the quality. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So today we're going to be talking about Leonard Bernstein and his composition, uh, his mass. Um, all right. So Bernstein, he was born on August 25th of 1918 and he died on October 14th of 1990. He was an American composer, conductor, author, uh, music lecturer, and pianist. He was among the first conductors born and educated in the United States to receive worldwide acclaim. According to music critic Donald uh, Hennahan, he was, quote, one of the most prodigiously talented and successful musicians in American history, unquote. And, you know, we have to agree with that because he really is one of the most famous you know, con not only conductors, but al also composers and, and, you know, everything that has to do with American, American uh, music, right? Um, his fame derived from his long tenure as the music director of the New York Philharmonic, uh, from his conducting of concerts with most of the um, world's leading orchestras, and from his compositions for West Side Story, Peter Pan, Candide, Wonderful Town, On the Town, On the Waterfront, his mass, um, and a range of other compositions, including three symphonies and many shorter chamber and solo works. Of course, his most famous there is West Side Story, you know, the the musical that also turned into a movie that is, you know, it's a really good one. It's got really good music. Um, Burston was the first conductor to give numerous television lectures on classical music starting in 1954 and continuing until his death. He was a skilled pianist, often conducting piano concertos from the keyboard. You know, pretty impressive that as well. Watching his Rhapsody in Blue uh, from the piano is really cool too. <laughs> yeah, the guy was a pretty solid musician. Exactly. As a composer, he wrote in many styles, uh, lots of different styles of music, uh, including symphonic and orchestral music, uh, ballet, film. Uh, theater, choral works, um, his most famous choral works being the Chichester Psalms, mm -hmm. um, which oh, yeah. are, if you ever want to know what Bernstein's general style is like, just sing through those or listen to them. Uh, his, he has written in opera, uh, chamber music, lots of works for the piano. Many of his works are regularly performed around the world, though of course uh, West Side Story is his best known, has Definitely. received the most uh, success critically. Um, it's just everybody's quite familiar with it. Uh, so, so Bernstein was born in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Uh, so he is, um, he is one of those uh, Yankees, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, he, he took piano lessons as a boy and attended the garrison in Boston Latin schools. At Harvard University, he studied with Walter Piston, Edward Burlingham Hill, uh, and A. Tillman Merritt, among others. Uh, before graduating in 39, he made an unofficial conducting debut with his own incidental music to The Birds. Uh, and directed and performed at Mark Blitzstein's The Cradle Will Rock. Uh, so he had some, he was already very active in the American musical scene at his own graduation in 1939. So, so then at the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia, he studied piano with Isabella Vingarova, um, uh, conducting with Fritz Reiner and orchestration with Randall Thompson. Uh, certainly, uh, that would be probably the most important person Randall Thompson ever worked with, <laughs> would be Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. That's just me speaking as a person who's sung too much of Randall Thompson's music in choir. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in 1940, he studied at the Boston Symphony Orchestra's newly created, created Summer Institute, Tanglewood, which of course now is, you know, kind of like this huge 
huge summer institute, of course. Um, and he studied there with the orchestra's conductor, uh, Kusevitsky, which we, we've talked about him before. Uh, Bernstein later became Kusevitsky's conducting assistant. Uh, Bernstein was appointed to his first permanent conducting post in 1943 as assistant conductor of the New York Philharmonic. What a good way to start. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, and on November 14 of 1943, Bernstein, Bernstein substituted on a few hours notice uh, for the ailing Bruno Walter at, uh, at a Carnegie Hall concert, which was broad, broadcast nationally on radio, uh, receiving critical acclaim. Soon, orchestras worldwide sought him uh, out as a guest conductor. So, really, really good way to start there. For People like to be under his baton, Yeah, which is amazing, because I've seen this baton work, and it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. I think he's patented the baton back scratch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in order to get a good downbeat, he puts the baton all the way back there. And hits yeah. it. Anyway, uh, so, so between 1945 and 47, he served as the music director of the New York City Symphony Orchestra. Uh, after Serge Kusevitsky died in 51, uh, same year that Schoenberg died, uh, Bernstein headed the orchestral and uh, conducting departments at Tanglewood, teaching there for many years. Uh, in 51, he married the Chilean actress and pianist Felicia Montealegre. Uh, he was also a visiting music professor and head of the Creative Arts Festival at Brandeis University in the early 1950s. So he's a guy that was very much involved in the, the latest in uh, musical education in the United States, in addition to musical productions. Very, very uh, well-rounded guy. Yeah. Uh, Bernstein became music director of the New York Philharmonic in 1958. Uh, from, that on, from then until 1969, he led more concerts with the orchestra than any pre previous conductor. He subsequently held the lifetime title of Laureate Conductor, making frequent guest appearances with the orchestra. More than half of Bernstein's 400-plus recordings were made with the New York Philharmonic. His work as a conductor was very well known. He traveled the world uh, as a conductor. Immediately after World War II in 1946, he conducted in London and at the International Music Festival in Prague. In 1947, he conducted in Tel Aviv, beginning a relationship with Israel that lasted until his death. Uh, he being a, a Jewish man himself, uh, he had mm -hmm. a special connection with Israel. Mm -hmm. In 1953, Bernstein was the first American to conduct opera at the Teatro alla Scala in Milan. Uh, he conducted Cherubini's Medea with uh, Maria Callas. Callas. Mm -hmm. Maria Callas. Yes. I don't remember uh, what language I'm speaking. <laughs> uh, Bernstein was a leading advocate of American composers, particularly, particularly Aaron Copland. Uh, the two remained close friends for life. Uh, as <coughs> As a young pianist, Bernstein performed Copland's piano variations so often he considered the composition his trademark. Uh, Bernstein programmed and recorded nearly all of the Copland orchestral works, many of them twice. He devoted several televised uh, young people concerts to Copland and gave the premiere of Copland's Connotations, commissioned for the opening of uh, Philharmonic Hall, now Avery Fisher Hall at Lincoln Center in 1962. He was a big advocate for Copeland, just, uh, if anything, to promote the idea of natural American, like, United States music. Mm -hmm. um, so the Young People's Concerts were a very big deal for introducing a lot of Americans to, a lot of United States citizens to um, orchestral music, since rock music and a lot of the, the non Mm -hmm. classical stuff and the jazz was pulling people sort of away from the concert hall. He was bringing young people into the concert hall with his um, television series, Young People's Concerts. Fantastic mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. 
<coughs> lots of fun camera angles and discussion. Mm -hmm. So while Bernstein's conducting repertoire encompassed the standard literature, he, he's probably best known for his um, performances of Beethoven and Haydn and Brahms and Schumann and Sibelius and Mahler. Mm -hmm. uh, mainly Mahler. His, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. he, he, his performances of the Mahler symphonies with the New York Philharmonic in the 60s really did kind of revive Mahler. And especially after the war, uh, people were, especially in Vienna, when he, uh, he was the first person to conduct Mahler in Vienna after the Second World War. There was still such an anti-Semitic attitude, Mahler being a Jew, yeah. um, <coughs> that he was able to go, uh, go there and, uh, and get a reluctant orchestra to uh, perform the incredible works of, of Gustav Mahler. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it time, and, and the whole time the orchestra was just muttering under their breaths all these mm -hmm. anti-Semitic statements. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was a pretty hectic time, but I think Bernstein was pretty important for reviving yeah. Mahler in not only the United States, but around the world. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, also inspired by his Jewish heritage, uh, Bernstein completed his first large-scale work, Symphony No. 1, uh, titled Jeremiah, uh, in 1943. The piece was first performed with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra in 1944, conducted by the composer, and receiving the New York Music Critics Award. Uh, Kusevisky premiered Bernstein Symphony No. 2, uh, titled The Age of Anxiety, with the Boston Symphony Orchestra, with Bernstein and the, uh, as the piano soloist. His Symphony No. 3, uh, titled Kaddish, uh, composed in 1963, was premiered by the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, Kaddish is dedicated to, uh, quote, the beloved memory of John F. Kennedy, unquote. So other major compositions by Bernstein include the Prelude, Fugue, and Riffs for solo clarinet and jazz ensemble, Serenade for violin, strings, percussion of 1954, uh, Symphonic Dances from West Side Story, which he wrote in 1960, mm -hmm. the Chichester Psalms, which I mentioned earlier, for chorus, boy soprano, and orchestra. It, it, it can be a countertenor, a male. Yeah. It just a, has to be a guy, whoever's yeah. singing that high part. That's a really good, really good piece. Oh, very, very well known. Mm -hmm. um, the Chichester Psalms. It's all in Hebrew, so it's uh, yeah. it's, it's uh, several of the Psalms. I think uh, three to six of the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Each one of the movements, three movements, has multiple Psalms in it, and it's all in, in Hebrew. It's very yeah. catchy, really neat stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, that was composed in 1965, mm -hmm. and uh, later on was the Mass, a theater for a theater piece for singers, players, and dancers, which he which was commissioned for the opening of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. Uh, it was first produced there in 1971. He wrote Songfest, a song cycle for six singers and orchestra in 1977. He wrote Divertimento for orchestra in 1980. Halil for a solo flute and small orchestra from in 1981. He wrote Touches for solo piano in 81. He wrote uh, a Misa Brevis for singers and percussion. It's a good, good mix there for, for a mass setting. Mm -hmm. Why not for singers and percussion? 1988. Uh, 13 anniversaries for solo piano in 1988. Now we're getting to when I was alive. Uh, <laughs> the Concerto for Orchestra, Jubilee Games, 1989, and the arias and barco roles for two singers and piano duet in 1988. So he was always sort of taking advantage of strange, uh, lesser used instrument groups in his music. I mean, it really does kind of sound like uh, his music tends to be sort of a mix between sort of a Stravinsky and yeah. uh, aesthetic and. Uh, and American popular music sort of uh, yeah. fused together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've, when we were talking about the symphonies, I forgot to mention that also just, just like Mahler did, you know, adding all these titles to his symphonies. So that's kind of interesting. Um, Bernstein also wrote a one-act opera uh, called Trouble in, in Tahiti uh, in 1952. 
and its sequel, the three-act opera A Quiet Place in 1983. He collaborated with choreographer Jerome Robbins on three major ballets, uh, Fancy, Fancy Free of 1944 uh, and Facsimile of 1946 uh, for the American Ballet Theater and uh, Die Book uh, of 1975 for the New York City Ballet. Uh, he composed the score for the award-winning movie On the Waterfront in 1954 and incidental music for two Broadway plays, Peter Pan and, uh, in 1950 and The Lark in 1955. So Bernstein contributed substantially to the Broadway musical stage. He uh, basically invented mm -hmm. the idea of the American uh, Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there were several before him, obviously, but he, he's one of the few people that I think really perfected it, mm -hmm. really tried to create its own art form in itself and, and do it as an intellectual exercise in addition to being something to make money. Yeah. Um, so he collaborated with Betty Comden and Adolph Green on, on The Town in 1944 and Wonderful Town in 1953, just sort of an obsession with towns. In mm -hmm. collaboration with Richard Wilbur and Lillian Hellman and others, he wrote Candide in 1956. <coughs> Very well-known work. Uh, if you're in a wind ensemble, you will play the uh, overture from that yeah. many times, or the, the suite or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, that was 56. Other versions of Candide were written in association with Hugh, Hugh Wheeler, Stephen Sondheim, uh, and other folks like that. Sondheim being a student of Milton Babbitt, uh, the guy who wrote Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. um, in 1957, he again collaborated with Jerome Robbins, Stephen Sondheim, and Arthur Lawrence on the landmark musical West Side Story, uh, which also made it into the Academy Award-winning film. Uh, which it was made into one. So in 1976, Bernstein and Alan J. Lerner wrote uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, mm -hmm. which many of you know that address as being that yeah. of the residence of the president. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <coughs> so uh, festivals of, of Bernstein's music have been produced throughout the world. In 1978, the Israel Philharmonic sponsored a festival commemorating his years of dedication to, Isra to Israel. The Israel Philharmonic also bestowed on him the lifetime title of Laureate Conductor in 1988. In 1986, the London Symphony Orchestra and the uh, Barbican C Center uh, produced a Bernstein Festival. The London Symphony Orchestra in 1987 named him Honorary President. In 1989, the city of Bern uh, presented a Beethoven slash Bernstein Festival. Good He's combination. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> he made it into the three Bs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's, Bernstein is, is, is so popular. The, one of our professors here at LSU, Dr. Andreas Giger, mm -hmm. Bernstein is his secondary interest after <laughs> Italian opera yeah. or 19th century opera in general. And it's just he, he does a whole class. He devotes several of his uh, freshman course mm -hmm. uh, class days to just Bernstein and mm -hmm. what he did. And mm -hmm. he just, um, there's so much you can say about the guy. Yeah. In 1985, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences honored Bernstein with the Lifetime Achievement Grammy Award. He won 11 Emmy Awards in his career. His televised concert and lecture series started with the Omnibus Program in 1954, followed by the uh, very well-known uh, Young People's Concerts with the New York Philharmonic mm -hmm. in 1958 that extended over 14 seasons. Mm -hmm. Among his many appearances on the PBS series Great Performances was the 11-part acclaimed Bernstein's Beethoven. Mm -hmm. 1989, Bernstein and others commemorated the 1939 invasion of Poland in a worldwide telecast from Warsaw. So he was a very active dude in yeah. bringing music to people. Definitely. Yeah, he's really important, of course. Uh, Bernstein's writings were published in uh, The Joy of Music of 1959, 
1959, this book that we have actually talked about in, if I remember correctly, episode number one of the Symphonic Podcast, we talked about this book. Uh, of course, um, all other writings of Bernstein, we have Leonard Bernstein's Young People's Concerts, Young People's Concerts of 1961, The Infinite Variety of Music in 1966, and Findings of 1982. Uh, each has been uh, widely translated. He gave six lectures at Harvard University uh, between 72 and 73 as the Charles Eliot Norton Professor of Poetry. Uh, these lectures were subsequently published and televised as The Unanswered Question. Uh, which they're all, all these lectures are on YouTube right now and they're awesome. They're really good, you know, to learn about music and about what Bernstein thought of music and all that. Really good, informative, you know, videos. Um, Bernstein always rejoiced in opportunities to teach young musicians. His master's cla classes at Tanglewood were famous. Uh, he was instrumental in founding the Los Angeles Philharmonic Institute in 1960, uh, 1982. He helped create a world-class training orchestra at the uh, Schleswig Holstein Music Festival. Uh, he founded the Pacific Music Festival in uh, Sapporo, Japan. Sapporo, Japan. Uh, model good beer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, Sapporo. Uh, model after Tanglewood. Uh, this international festival was the first of its kind in Asia and continued, continues to this day. So, you know, just Bernstein always trying to bring music to the forefront, classical music to the forefront. He was quite the advocate for music. I think just yeah. a lot of people uh, would never have become interested in classical music or in uh, yeah. you know, composer music until mm -hmm. Bernstein introduced them. So, so Bernstein received lots of honors, as we've been talking about. He was elected to 19, in 1981 to the Acad American Academy of Arts and Letters, which gave him a gold medal, the National mm -hmm. Fellowship Award, and in 1985, uh, uh, his lifelong support of humanitarian causes. He received the uh, McDowell Colony's gold medal, uh, medals from the Beethoven Society and the Mahler Gesellschaft, mm -hmm. uh, and the Handel Medallion. Uh, New York City's highest honor for the arts, uh, a Tony Award in 1969 for distinguished achievement in the theater, dozens of honorary degrees and awards from colleges and universities. Um, he was presented ceremonial keys to the cities of Oslo, Vienna, Beersheba, and the village uh, Bernstein, Austria, among others. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a village called Bernstein mm -hmm. before he was born. Which is mm -hmm. <laughs> they honored him with that pre-named village. So, so national honors came from Italy, Israel, uh, Mexico, Denmark, Germany. Uh, he received the Great Merit Cross from Germany and, and France. He was Chevalier Officer and Commandeur of the Légion d'Honneur. Mm -hmm. uh, he received the Kennedy Center Honors in 1980. So the guy, he's got some honors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, world peace was a particular concern for Bernstein. Uh, speaking at John Hopkins University in 1980 and uh, the Cathedral of St. John's uh, the Divine in New York in 1983, he described his vision of global harmony. His, uh, quote, journey for peace uh, tour to Athens and Hiroshima with the European Community Orchestra in 1985 commemorated the 40th anniversary of the atomic bomb. In December of 1989, Bernstein conducted the historic uh, Berlin Celebration concerts uh, on both sides of the Berlin Wall as it was being dismantled. Uh, the concerts were unprecedented gestures of cooperation. The musicians uh, representing the former East Germany, West Germany, and the four powers that had uh, partitioned Berlin after World War II. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so Bernstein supported Amnesty International from its inception. To benefit the effort in 1987, he established the Felicia Monte Alegre Fund in memory of his wife who mm -hmm. had died uh, back in 1978, uh, a widower 
Mr. Mm -hmm. Bernstein was. In 1990, Bernstein received the Premium Imperial, an international prize created in 1988 by the Japan Arts Association and awarded for lifetime achievement in the arts. So Bernstein used the $100,000 in cash uh, prize to establish the, um, the Bernstein Education Through the Arts Fund, or BETA, mm -hmm. uh, incorporated before his death on October 14 of that year. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, of course, uh, Bernstein, uh, of course, had his wife, uh, but he also had, was a father of three children, Jamie, mm -hmm. Alexander, and Nina. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had several grandchildren, four, Francisca, uh, Evan, Anya, and Anna. Yeah. Alright, so we talked about his life, now let's talk about his composition, the Mass. Of course, Bernstein has many, many symphonies um, that we could also talk about, but this Mass is a really interesting work, and since I heard it for the first time, I've always been captivated by this composition. So that's why we're talking about this one instead of the symphonies. We'll get to the symphonies in another, in another podcast. So, uh, the Mass, um, um, formerly, formerly known as Mass, a theater piece for singers, players, and dancers, is a musical theater work with text by Bernstein and additional text, text by lyricists um, and, and lyrics by uh, Steven Schwartz. Uh, commissioned by Jacqueline Kennedy, it, it premiered on September 8 of 1971, conducted by Maurice uh, Paris. Uh, the performance was part of the opening of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C., like you said before. Uh, this mass premiered in Europe in 1973 with John Mauseri uh, conducting the Yale Symphony Orchestra in Vienna. Originally, Bernstein had intended to compose a traditional mass. Uh, um, this is, as far as we know, but he decided instead on something a little different from that. Uh, this work is based on the on the mass of the Roman Catholic Church, although mm -hmm. the liturgical passages are sung in Latin. Mm -hmm. uh, mass also includes additional texts in English written by Bernstein, uh, also by uh, Broadway composer Stephen Schwartz, and Paul Simon, who wrote the first quatrain of the trope, um, Half of the People. So this is literally just a mass that is troped. Mm -hmm. uh, it's based loosely really on the mass. I mean, it's not exactly all its parts. But uh, the work is intended to be staged theatrically, but it has, a, it has also been performed in a standard concert setting. Mm -hmm. um, probably, probably don't perform this in a church. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, it's a little, little much. Yeah. Uh, initial critical reception, including a review in the New York Times, was largely negative. Uh, but the Columbia Records recording of the work enjoyed excellent sales. There were, uh, this piece, just people talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, people weren't pleased with it, and thus everyone needed to hear it, and <laughs> it became sort of popular. Yeah. Um, the original cast consisted of a celebrant three, uh, celebrant, three choirs, and altar servers. A full classical orchestra performed in the pit, while on, sta on stage musicians, including a rock band and a, mar and a marching band, performed and interacted on stage. Um, so let's talk about these four characters. The celebrant, uh, the central character of the work, a Catholic priest who conducts the celebration of the Mass. The, uh, the second one, which is the formal choir, a, mix, a mixed choir, um, soprano, soprano, alto, alto, tenor, tenor, bass, bass, uh, located on an upstage uh, choir loves who sing the Latin portions of the Mass. Uh, the third one is a boys' choir, uh, a, children's, a children's choir in soprano, soprano, alto, alto, that proceeds on and off stage various times, performing alone, in antiphon, or in concert with the formal choir um, and the street singers. Uh, the other one, the street singers, um, are uh, downstage and often performing around the celebrant and the stage instrumentalist. 
uh, a broad group of female and male singers representing the congregation and occasionally the musicians who ver variously participate in the prayers of the mass or alternately uh, counter those prayers in a modern context. And the last one, the acolytes, uh, assistance to the celebrant who perform dances and altar assistance throughout the mass. So you can see why this wouldn't be performed at church because it has, you know, especially when it was first performing, it has these rock bands, all these, you know, pop elements to it that probably weren't seen as good candidates for a mass, you know, <laughs> a mass setting. It's got a lot of a lot of words that aren't in the mass, which I mean, which is an old practice back in, uh, especially England in the uh, 14th century, that people troped on the mass all the time. There were added words mm -hmm. uh, everywhere, not in English, but in, yeah. in Latin most of the time, uh, and that was quite common. Uh, that's what forms what we now call a motet. So mm -hmm. those, those came out of that practice, uh, but. Uh, but this work is, is very, it's quite different from a regular Mass. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's talk a little bit about the synopsis of the work. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, all the performers are in harmony and agreement during the course of the Mass. However, the street choir begins expressing doubts and suspicions about the necessity of God in their lives and the role of the Mass itself. At the play's emotional climax, the, the growing cacophony of the chorus is complaining finally interrupts the elevation of the body and the blood, uh, that is the consecrated bread and wine. Uh, the celebrant, in a furious rage, hurls the sacred bread house and an ornate cross-like monstrance uh, and the chalice of wine, smashing them on the floor. At this sacrilege, the other cast members collapse to the ground as if dead while the uh, celebrant sings a solo. This solo blends the chorus's disbelief with his realization that he feels worn out and wonders where the strength of his original faith has gone. Uh, at the end of his song, he too collapses. A bird-like flute solo begins, sort of a Holy Spirit reference, darting here and there from different speakers in the hall, finally alighting, uh, alighting in a single clear note. <clears throat> so an altar server who was uh, absent during the conflict then sings a hymn of praise to God, Sing to God a Secret Song. Uh, this restores the faith of the three choirs who join the altar server one by one in this hymn of praise. Uh, they tell the celebrant Pax Tecum, that uh, is, peace mm -hmm. be with you, and end with a hymn asking for God's blessing. Uh, the last words of the piece are, the Mass is ended, go in peace. Classic. So it's sort of, <laughs> a, it's a whole story of, uh, of, of starting with uh, an understanding, starting with, uh, uh, I guess, an understanding from somewhere else that this, this Mass is necessary, and then people doubt it, and then there is frustration, and then, it, uh, then there is a restored faith at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, to me, I guess it sort of represents, um, if you're familiar at all with Kant and uh, his idea of ethics being either um, heteronymous or autonomous, and either, either you receive ethics by what people tell you to do or you get ethics by what you feel is right. Either you have it within you or it comes to you. Mm -hmm. I think this, uh, this mass probably represents that um, going from receiving uh, morality to understanding morality, or not morality, but... Mm -hmm. wisdom or ethics mm -hmm. yeah and uh, this this piece has 32 movements I mean and I mean, I'm not I'm not even gonna tell you all of them because you know it's, it's kind of long but uh, I mean you can you can look it up but I mean each of these movements lasts between one minute and you know four or five minutes the entire piece is about an hour long it's a it's a it's you know it's a monumental work it's not it's not a, a simple mass it's it's really um, complicated you know and really intense so uh, Bernstein scored the mass for a large orchestra and choir, um, and also included an on-stage group, street 
which are the street musicians. Verstein divided the orchestra into in two parts. The strings, keyboards, and percussion are in the pit, while the woodwinds, brass, guitars, synthesizers, and percussion are on stage. The instrumentation is as follows. The pit orchestra uses percussion instruments, all kinds of percussion instruments. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have um, actually a, a lot of percussion instruments here. We have timpani, bongo, snare drums, tenor drums, bass drums, woodblock, anvil, tam-tam, marimba, vibraphone, you, you know, a lot, glockenspiel, xylophone, a lot of different um, percussion instruments. Uh, in terms of the pit orchestra, you have keyboards like a celesta, a piano, and two allen organs. organs um, a small one and a, and a large one. Uh, the strings are uh, harp, first and second violins, violas, violoncellos, and you know, and double basses. That's normal. The onstage groups, the the stage orchestra is uh, woodwinds, two flutes, two oboes, uh, three clarinets, um, and all these all these woodwinds are doubling. Like the flutes has a piccolo, the second uh, oboe has an English horn, uh, and then the clarinets. Uh, we have a sop soprano saxophone, uh, alto saxophone, and an E-flat clarinet. Uh, a lot of, and also bass clarinet, all these doublings happening. Uh, we have two bassoons, the second one doubling on, on uh, contra bassoon. In terms of brass, we have four horns, uh, four trumpets, three trombones, and a tuba. Percussion, we have um, bongos, uh, two drum sets, uh, finger cymbals, trample blocks, uh, tambourines, and glockenspiel. So another different percussion ensemble on stage. We have also two synthesizers, uh, and we have voices here on stage. We have a high baritone solo, a boy soprano solo, uh, a double choir um, of at least 60 singers uh, in robes, uh, also the boys qu choirs that we talked about before. And they, and and they double on kazoos. Yeah, yeah, some of, the, some of the boys choirs are gonna be doubling on kazoos, that's kind of funny. That's um, uh, in, in terms of strings, in the on stage we're gonna have acoustic guitars, electric guitars, uh, and bass guitars. Uh, and Bernstein, banjo. yeah, and banjo, yeah, yeah, banjo. <laughs> um, Bernstein included a note that the musicians in stage in, in the stage orchestra are to be robed and also act as cast members. Bernstein also went so far as to include a footnote that the bassist and the keyboardist of the blues band and the keyboardist, uh, bassist, and drummer of the rock band are to be um, recruited as percussionists for the uh, stage orchestra for the second movement. Uh, the street musicians are uh, percussions, just three, three steel drums, uh, clavos, claves, uh, bottles, a tambourine, gourds, and tin cans. Uh, the street musicians, in terms of voice, we have 45 singers. Uh, 20 to 30 soloists are used from this group. In his, in his instructions, Bernstein indicated that the percussion should be played by members of the street musicians. You have to be pretty versatile to get this thing oh, off. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I have a lot of forces uh, with yeah. you. Mm -hmm. So the concept of the mass derived from three sources, um, derived from three, um, three experiences of uh, Bernstein's. One was the experience of conducting at Robert Kennedy's funeral in 1968 uh, in Manhattan <coughs> at St. Patrick's Cathedral. The other was uh, the Beethoven Bicentenary in Vienna in 1970, and a small piece, A Simple Song, which he wrote for Franco Cifarelli's 1972 film, Brothers, Son, Sister, Moon, uh, before withdrawing from that project after three months, during which he time he worked with, um, during which time he worked with Leonard Cohen. Uh, Paul Simon was also approached for music and lyrics for Brothers, Son, Sister, Moon, but he too declined. Um, like I said earlier, uh, he did write the, he did have something to do with mass. He wrote a quatrain, uh, which mm -hmm. he later presented to Bernstein to use in, in his mass, which he did use. Uh, so yeah, they got, there, was, uh, there were a few inspirations that led him to composing this work.
that. Um, and uh, the the FBI kept a file. This is kind of I mean an interesting footnote here. The FBI kept a file on Bernstein because of his leftist views. Uh, in the summer of 1971, the the FBI warned the White House that the Latin text of the mass might contain anti-war messages, which could cause embarrassment to pres President Nixon should he attend the premiere and applaud politely. Uh, rumors of such a plot by Bernstein were leaked to the press. According to Gordon Liddy, uh, uh, White House counsel John Dean uh, stated that the work was, quote, definitely anti-war and anti-establishment, anti etc., uh, uh, unquote. Nixon did not ultimately did not attend the premiere, ultimately. Uh, Nixon had this decision described in the press as an act of courtesy to Jacqueline Kennedy on assets. Uh, because he left, the, he felt the formal opening, sh uh, quote, should really uh, be her night, unquote. So that's just kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he uh, he was uh, all over the place. He was con uh, accused of communism on multiple occasions. Yeah, and you know he he went to to Russia to to perform uh, Shostakovich uh, pieces, you know, through his life. Um, so that's you know it's really interesting traveling all over the world and you know all this things about peace that he was all into all the time, you know, oh, it's yeah. interesting. And you, and you can hear even in his, his, his popular music um, references to, I mean, the fact that he's using popular music at all is a sort of a, is a, a bent towards populism, which is kind of like communism, um, yeah. <clears throat> just trying to, uh, to please the people rather than trying to create something formal. But at the same time, his music does have a great deal of um, what, if you were a Soviet, would be considered uh, formalism. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you listen to some parts of his West Side Story, even, you'll hear examples of um, 12-tone composition mm -hmm. just in the middle of nowhere. You'll, you'll hear just what sounds like pop music, you know, sort of, uh, and, and it's on doing its thing. And then you listen closer, and it's actually 12-tone rows in polyphony with each other. Um, and the guy uh, knows his stuff. I mean, he's, he studied and worked with uh, the best. He, he knew plenty of uh, plenty of influences. He conducted lots of Stravinsky in his life, which means that uh, he had a lot of exposure to that kind of music, the sort of Natty Boulanger stamp uh, of mixing meters yeah. and, um, and everything. Uh, though I don't think he ever studied with Natty Boulanger. But no, he certainly no, but performed with a lot of people who did and worked with. Them. Yeah, but he was involved in that era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his music is really good, of course. If you haven't listened to West Side Story, I mean, mo most people have. And um, of course, the Candide, the Candide Suite is really good as well. This, the the Psalms are awesome. You know, this piece, the Mass is good. I mean, he's got really good music that he composed. So he's just a really good musician of the 20th century. One of the best musicians. Oh, of course, and if you haven't seen that video, video he's conducting, I think, a Haydn symphony uh, without a baton, basically just using his face. That's one of his most famous conducting videos. <laughs> it's really funny um, because, of course, he, he's conducting one of the best orchestras in the world, right? He, they, he knows that they don't need him, so he's just basically making faces here and there. It's actually really funny. It's, it's, really, it's really hilarious. Hey, for, for Haydn, you don't need this one. I mean, they can, they can sense the time pretty naturally. Exactly. So whenever, whenever my conductor sort of stops conducting me I, and starts using his face, I just get annoyed. <laughs> because, I mean, only if it's like super rubato stuff where you really need yeah, of course. someone to dictate which direction we're slowing down or speeding up. But of uh, for, for classical music, there's really rarely a need, classical or baroque. Yeah. Sort of. 
Yeah, and of course, and also the piece, the one you know, was fully dressed in his Edwardian attire and just going out there and just with his baton, put it down and just nodded yeah. at musicians until they got it right. Yeah, and one of, one of my favorite movements of this mass, I think, is the Gloria. The Gloria is, is a really strange Gloria. I mean, just like this piece, is just just you know all the combination of of all the all you know pop music and all that. This is a really really good composition, of course. That's what we're talking about. I just met a girl named Gloria. <laughs> That's funny. It's a PDQ Bach reference. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say, Andrew? I think I'm pretty sated for this uh, discussion. So. All right. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. Uh, you can find us, of course, on iTunes or or on YouTube. Um, uh, of course, if you have any questions, you can email us at uh, symphonypodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page that you can like us if you want. We also have... Oh, if, if you are listening uh, to this podcast on on your on your podcast app, um, we would appreciate if you give us some reviews there because that, uh, that helps with exposure there. All right. Um, okay, until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Hooray! Another one in the back.